take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23 again. Luke chapter 23. This is not the passage that I prepared for throughout the week. Uh, this is something that came to last night and uh, figured it would be appropriate also for Father's Day, but just for a reminder for us as a congregation. And so this is not uh, one that a sermon that you just kind of go, I'm really, 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 really prepared for. It's one that you're looking at and going, we, we need this passage here this morning. And uh, we previously, when it came to Mother's Day, we preached from one of the seven sayings of Christ. Uh, the passage where Christ uh, gives uh, his mother over to John to be taken care of. And it was a reminder of the Lord's care, even in the midst of great suffering for his own family, the concern for it, that she uh, is taken care of, even though he will no longer be around physically to take care of her, uh, the desire to do that. But we're going to look at here this morning, as we read through uh, in our scripture reading this morning, several sayings of Christ from the cross, we're going to focus in on the last saying of Jesus on the cross, the seventh saying of Jesus on the cross. You think about uh, the different uh, times where it kind of says when Jesus dies in other passages, Matthew 27 and verse 50 just simply says this, Jesus, when he cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Mark chapter 15 and verse 37, giving this account, it said when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he gave up the ghost. And, and in John's account, you find when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. But what Luke does is he gives us what the Lord says just before he dies. It's after the statement of it is finished and that statement has uh, been stated that the work of Jesus Christ and the cross is sufficient to pay for the sins of all mankind. And that's a wonderful statement to just even consider that it's finished. You're not responsible to do any work for salvation. Jesus has already done it on the cross. It's up to you to believe the sacrifice on the cross was sufficient and put your faith and trust in that. But after that statement, there's this final statement. It is kind of uh, interesting to think that there's only seven statements recorded of Jesus on the cross. The seven statements uh, are, well, it's kind of interesting because you don't do much with numbers in our society. Numbers don't mean certain things, though some people think in our culture that 13 is a bad number. I think contrary to that, you know, people talk about Friday the 13th as being a really bad day. I think of it a good day. You go, why is that? Because it's the first day my parents dated was on a Friday the 13th. And uh, they have been dating on Friday the 13th ever since uh, for that. So we sometimes think of numbers as we do have that in our culture. But it is interesting that the Bible does seem to have certain numbers that mean certain things. 40 days or 40 uh, of any sort is usually a time of trial or temptation or difficulty. 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days of rain, uh, and 40 nights of rain for Noah's ark, 40 days that the Lord was in the wilderness, 40 years that the children of Israel were in uh, the wilderness wandering about. 
But as you look through the scripture, you do find this, that uh, the number seven seems to just point to the fact that uh, we're talking about God. That's the number of God. It's the number of completion, perfectness, because when you think about the very first time that number is used, it's describing that Jesus, or excuse me, God is done with his work of creation. That day is set aside and hallowed for him uh, for worship. And uh, the number seven seems to symbolize this. And as you think about this, this is the final statement that we have recorded. Whether Jesus said other things on the cross, we don't have recorded. But the seven statements that we do have recorded throughout the scripture seem to point to the fact that this one who was dying on the cross is more than just some man dying on the cross. He was God. And you really begin to see that when you get to that final statement that we read uh, of the centurion where you look at his different statements recorded in the scripture, but as you read the account, when Christ is there on the cross, and at least in this case, verse 47, the centurion saw that what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Another passage, it says this, that he was truly the son of God. And so uh, this person dying on the cross was not just merely a man, he was God in human flesh. But the interesting thing about this last statement of Christ on the cross is that it is a prayer. See, the whole book of Luke is uh, a book that is describing the life of Christ and the perspective that Luke is trying to give is that Jesus was a man. Uh, Luke, being a physician, would have had a great interest in human life and how humanity functioned. That was just his life and his habits. So it seems like the Lord, in moving him by the Holy Spirit, that there's much to be said about Christ's humanity while he's here on earth. And there's no other book in the scripture or no other gospel that you have more times where it's recorded where Jesus is praying. He's giving us an example of how to live out our life as human beings that there is a communication that goes on, and it is befitting that the last statement of Christ on the cross, that he spent so much time communicating with his Father during his time here on earth, that he closes off his time here on earth by making a prayer to his heavenly Father. His habit was to pray to God in times of need. In the times of praise, his habit of prayer was with him right up until the end. And so you see from a human standpoint that Christ was an individual giving us an example of communication with the Father, but he's also one who gives us an example that he was receiving communication from the Father. You say, what do you mean by that? He knew the Word of God. And you go, well, okay, he was God. He ought to know the Word of God. But this last statement of Christ on the cross was actually a quote of Scripture. The passage, and maybe you have this in the center column reference as you look at this statement uh, where Christ uh, says this statement, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You would see that it would be a passage in Psalm 31. And if you don't have this uh, marked somewhere, you ought to, because as you read through this again, you ought to go back and see what that psalm actually says. And here this morning, why don't we turn over to Psalm 31 to see what the, the Savior actually quoted. 
in his prayer back to God. Psalm 31 starts this way. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they lay privily for me, for thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Yeah, the statement, the habits of a lifetime are not easily shaken off. The master was a man of prayer and a man of the book. How natural that his last word should blend both characteristics that he is praying this. But as you look at this statement, as the Lord quotes verse number 5 of Psalm 31, that he adds something. I mean, we have here in Psalm, it says, into thy hand I commit my spirit. What is the thing that he adds in his prayer on the cross? What statement? Father. Father, it's a great statement to be made because it is one that he adds this because it emphasizes his relationship with God the Father, but what he's also giving to us is for us in the New Testament an understanding of what our relationship with God is like. See, as you go through the Old Testament, you find that God really is not referred to as a father. Sometimes in the nation of Israel, he's seen as a parental figure leading them about, but he's never really addressed by that title, Father. But you get to the New Testament, and as the Lord is is teaching his disciples to pray, as he's giving them examples to understand what God is like, he opens up this realm of understanding that individuals that are followers of God that have put their faith and trust in him are part of his family. There's a a family relationship that goes on. In fact, as you think about when the Lord was teaching his disciples to pray, I want you to turn back to Luke chapter 11. Okay? This is part of the gospel where Jesus ends his life with a prayer. Uh, there is a section where he teaches his disciples how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, this passage starts this way. It says this, and it came to pass that as he was praying, speaking of Jesus, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I mean, it seems like even back then, uh, in these times, they needed training in prayer too. Just like we do. We need to be retrained sometimes in the way that we pray and the like. But he's just simply saying, John's, uh, John the Baptist, his followers were taught how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And so here's how the Lord starts this off. Verse 2, he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and then you have this what is known as the lord's prayer i i oftentimes have to correct myself it's not really the lord's prayer it's the disciples prayer it's what the disciples need to be praying 
but you just go through and see what he teaches them to pray for. Uh, he says, when you say, pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in, er- in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. That's why this isn't the Lord's Prayer, because he didn't need forgiveness of sins. And forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil or the evil one and then the lord goes on to give an illustration of what this relationship with the heavenly father is like what it should look like he gives this story he said unto them which of you shall have a friend and shall go into him unto midnight and say unto him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and i have nothing to be set before him and he shall answer for him within and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I mean, in the Oriental households or the Middle Eastern household, you usually had one room. So it's going to be an attempt to try and step over people to go and get this. And he's just saying, you know, do you really want me to do this and wake everybody up in order to get you bread? But you have this individual... I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will arise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit unto them that ask him? I mean, you think about this, when we're coming and praying to God, he is better than any earthly father that you have. Any of you that are fathers realize that you're not perfect and you weren't perfect. You know this. And there were times that you perhaps were grumpy or persnickety or whatever you might want to use for this. And sometimes your kids would ask for things and you would growl at them or not give it to them. And that sometimes happened. But there is a tender spot that you as a father want to give good things to your children. You want to be able to give them good gifts and be able to do that. That's in your soul. So if you think about this, if earthly fathers that, well, at times are, well, not the best, but still they have a desire to give good gifts to their children, is not the heavenly father completely different from that where he has no sin? What he has is always that he is good and will always be good that he has moved as we've looked in the evenings uh, as far as looking at God. He's moved with compassion. He's abundant in goodness and truth. He's moved uh, towards us, not away from us. He desires to help us. That's the kind of father that we have. And with Jesus on the cross, here he's showing this relationship that he's had with God the Father through all eternity, but it's also something that he told us we have a right to enjoy too that he is our father, that he desires to give us good things, and he will give us good things. And he desires to do this. 
Now think about this, and I have to remind myself as Jesus is dying here on the cross that just a few hours before, He had His disciples in the midst of a sorrowful situation. You read in John 13 and 14 that He tells them that He's going away and they don't understand exactly what He means by Him going away. Uh, They don't understand that He's going to die, that He's eventually going to go to His Father that's in heaven and be there and they can't follow Him at this moment. And so there's much discussion that it goes on between chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 where the Lord is trying to calm these individuals down and remind them of certain truths that when He goes away, they can hold on to and grasp respond to uh, as he's gone in john chapter 16 in this upper room discourse it gets to this point where jesus says this ye now therefore have sorrow but i will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man shall take away from you and then that day you shall ask me nothing verily verily i say unto you whatsoever you shall ask the father in my name he will give it you He's saying this, it used to be that you would come to me directly and talk to me, but here's what's going to happen. With the cross happening, now you can go directly to the Heavenly Father and ask Him for whatever you would and whatever you desire. It's going to change. And he says this, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken to you in the Proverbs, but when the time cometh, when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because he hath loved me, and believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and come into the world again. I leave the world and go to my Father. Right there in the upper room, he's just simply saying this. The relationship that I have with my Father, it's now yours. You can go to him and ask in my name. You say, why is that? Because he's our high priest that's offered the sacrifice that makes it clear that we can go to God. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. I hope we understand that's not just a, a closing statement of our prayer. You know, it's time, you know, it's, we're shutting down our prayer when we pray that. No, it's just simply saying, this is the reason that I have a standing with God the Father is because of what Jesus Christ did. And I can come and make my request known, but you have that kind of relationship with God the Father as He had His attitude towards His Son. His Son, or His attitude towards you is the same. He sees you as a loving Heavenly Father who sees you like He sees His Son. And that He desires for you to be able to come and call upon Him uh, wherever He's at. And so He will hear your prayers. You go, why? Because you're just like His Son in relationship to Him. I mean, this statement, and going back into Luke chapter 23 here, this just simple addition to the prayer here, Father, He's leaving us an example that we have the same opportunities to come and pray to Him. Now, we'll say about Psalm 31 that the Lord doesn't quote all that psalm. He says, into thy hand I will commit my spirit. Uh, He doesn't quote, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. You go, why is that? Because He didn't need redeeming. Jesus was doing the redeeming. So that, that statement He doesn't quote, but He does quote, into thine hand I commit my spirit. It's hard to imagine what Jesus was going through on this cross and the suffering that he had gone through 24 hours, the stress in the human body that he had gone through, uh, what it might have been like. 
We have no clue, really. But what he does is that in his prayer, he is focusing his attention on the one who can take care of him. We're saying this, he will take care of you. There is a Father in heaven that will take care of you. When Jesus prays this, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The idea is this, is that I lay down or I commit, I hand over as a trust to you my life. You're trustworthy. You're a faithful God. And, well, God the Father and God the Son had had a relationship throughout eternity, but he's just simply exemplifying this. This is a relationship that you've had with me. You've always been faithful, and I am committing my spirit to you. You're trustworthy. You're a faithful God. You're a God who will do uh, as you've always done. You never change. Now, I will say this as you see the statement of Christ on the cross. He did, throughout his ministry, say, down, say this, that he would lay down his life, that no one would actually take his life. He made the statement time and time again. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, I, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, we'll say this, this kind of prayer where the Lord, say, or the, the, the Lord is saying, I give you my spirit, and then he gives up his own life. We don't have that ability. We're not God. God is the one who holds times in his hand of our life and our existence. But you do read the story of the account of Jesus on the cross, and every passage makes it very clear that Jesus gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. He gave it up as he decided, this is my life. I am giving it up. And he commits it to the trust of God. You read Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. It says this, when Jesus had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. He gave it up. It's an active verb there. It's not passive. Or this one, Mark 15, 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Once again, an active tense there. He gave up his spirit. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And then you look at John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He didn't have his life taken from him. He gave it up. But in giving it up, he says this, I'm giving up my earthly life here. I'm committing it into the trust of God the Father that he will be faithful to do as he said he would with my life because there was this promise of resurrection that was going to happen three days later god the father as you read in the epistles raised him from the dead took his life and put it back into that body that was laid uh separate uh, from well life the soul and spirit departed but he gave his life back and jesus rose from the dead now I think about this. We are looking at a heavenly father who is faithful right up until death and beyond death. And what I'm delighted in as you think through, as you look in at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because Jesus Christ died 
had victory over death and rose again, you read this statement that we will one day, what? Be raised. And you go, why will we be raised? Well, it's because of Christ's sacrifice that He rose from the dead, but God's faithfulness because He doesn't break promises. That bodies that we lay in the grave, that we put there, that know Christ, will one day be raised anew. That body will not suffer from the things that it's gone through and will not go through the difficulties that were encountered in life. But no, that body will meet the soul and spirit and that body will be raised anew into the presence of God to enjoy the presence of God forever. And you think about the faithful God. He's faithful in life. He's faithful in death. He's faithful through eternity. God's not going to fail any single individual. He's a God that will take care of us right through the valley of the shadow of death. And I want you to turn over because this was a lesson learned by one of Jesus' first disciples. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 7. Here's an individual who's gotten himself in trouble for talking of Jesus. A deacon in the church there at Jerusalem by the name of Stephen. It's given the whole history of the nation of Israel, how the nation of Israel has been one that has rebelled against God uh, time and time and time again. And when it came to Jesus Christ, they rebelled against the Son. As a result of this, when he's preaching this, that they're a nation that's stubborn, that they've rejected uh, what was promised to David and this, they were angered by this, the leaders in Jerusalem. And you find this, verse number 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. You say, why is that significant? The Lord's receiving somebody home. You say, what's he doing right now? You read what Christ is doing. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. His work's accomplished. It's done. But here, when here Stephen is about to enter glory, here you have the Son of God who stood up and he's standing at the right hand of the Father. And verse 57, and they cried, the crowd that was there with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, or when, when they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, what? Receive my spirit. You know, what's he doing? He is saying what Christ said on the cross. In the face of cruel death, he's realizing this, that the f- commitment of God the Father to Jesus Christ, that commitment was the same to him. The faithfulness of God and the care of God for him, that was something that God would have for him. And so here he is praying at the end of his life, Lord, I'm commending my spirit to you. You take care of it. You've been faithful in life. You'll be faithful in death. You'll be faithful in eternity because you are the heavenly father that desires to give me good things. You find in church history... There's a man by the name of John Huss. 
John Huss, who raised up the gospel in a country, uh, a region known as Bohemia, proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ uh, faithfully and was deceived by friends and co-workers and was brought to trial and was mocked. As you read the story of John Huss, he was led out to his execution. They put a paper cap on his head, a dunce cap, basically, is what they put on his head, mocking him. On it were were scrawled pictures of violent-looking demons. And in that paper hat, his priestly accusers uh, mocking him and consigning his soul to the devil. That's what they were doing. They were declaring, you're going to be cursed and sent to hell forever. Huss lifted up his head in a voice in one brief cry before he was burned at the stake. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And with those words, he traversed the flames of death, went into the presence of his faithful father. One day his body will be raised anew from the dust and ashes and stand before a faithful father. For us, you look at a passage like this and it gives us encouragement. There's a God that is our father. If we put faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that he views us just like he viewed his son. And we can be encouraged by the fact that, yes, Christ had his spirit committed to the Father. It rose again one day, three days later, that that Father has the same relationship with you. And that no matter what you go through in this life, no matter what relations you have, and you may have relations that fail and are unfaithful and the like, but you have one who remains faithful, that's God the Father. And he delights, even though at times you may think that you're going through difficulty that is unbearable in this life, he's always faithful. And he's going to be faithful right with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And realize this, it's just a, it's a shadow. Okay, it's not permanent. It's a shadow. And that God will be with you right into glory. And when you go through the worst of human experiences in this life, you're in the presence of your faithful Father forever. And you go, is that a good gift? That's the greatest gift one can have is to be in the presence of God for eternity. That's what He created us for. That's what He made the people, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, to fellowship with Him. That's what He desires from us. And what God gives is the greatest gift He can give us. And that's His presence. And you read in Psalm 16 where it talks about this, that there's joy in the presence of the Lord forevermore. You have a faithful Father who is committed to you and will always be committed to you and will ultimately give you the best. And he is a father to be trusted at all times. May we, like the Savior, find that kind of faith to trust him day in and day out through bright paths and dark paths right into glory where we'll be with him forever. Praise be.
to the Father. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you do not shun us, that you will not make us ashamed, as Psalm 31 describes, that know that you love us with an everlasting love, that your commitment to us is for eternity, not temporarily, and that you will hear us when we cry. That you're tuned in to our, our soul and you know it and you hear us. We thank you for that. So Lord, as we go at times through difficult seasons, may we still have that understanding. You're our Father because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And that your will is always good. So Lord, be with us. May we trust you. May we be ones who commit our whole life and trust to you and even our death that we would faithfully trust you as the Heavenly Father that loves us more than anyone in this universe. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. And we praise you in your Son's name who makes this relationship possible. Amen.